when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. In this series, we've, uh, we've decided that we'd take a look for a few weeks, some of the very last things that Jesus said while he was still here on earth. Because we've determined that, that last words are always significant. They, they mean something. We, we focus on those when someone that we love or that we care about has passed away. We, the, the last thing they said has a, a special level of significance. And the same thing was true of Jesus. And today, we want to focus on three words. It is finished. Actually, in the original language... It wasn't three words, it was just one, and it was the word tetelestai. Charles Spurgeon said this about that word. He said, it was an ocean of meaning and a drop of language, a mere drop. For that is all we can call one word, tetelestai. Yet it would need all the other words that were ever spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. Finished. It was a conqueror's cry. It was uttered with a loud voice. There's nothing of anguish about it. There is no wailing in it. It is the cry of the one who has completed a tremendous labor and is about to die. And before he utters his death prayer, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He shouts his life's last hymn in that one word, Tetelestai. There's more here than what we might be able to understand without knowing the, the definition or how this word to tell us die would have been interpreted in its, in its original language. You see, this word carried, this word carried with it a, a special stream of significance as Jesus used it from the cross because this was actually an accounting term, which means debt paid in full. In Jesus' day, there was something that existed called a, a debtor's prison. 
And if, if you, in your lifetime and in your interactions and dealings with other people, managed to rack up a significant amount of debt that you were unable to pay and then being unable to pay for an extended amount of time fell into disregard with the law, then they would throw you into something called debtor's prison. Now, if that seems a bit foolish to you, it seems a bit foolish to me as well, right? If, if I'm already unable to pay my debts, how in the world am I ever supposed to be able to pay my debts if I'm in prison? See, here's how you got out of debtor's prison. That someone would come and on your behalf offer to pay all of the debts that you had accrued. And then on that, that document, they would, they would write out all of your debts on a list, on a piece of paper, showing everything that you owed. And until it was paid, you were stuck in this prison. But if someone were to come and offer to pay on your behalf all of the debts so that you could be released, set free, then on that same document that carried with it all of your debts, all of the things that you would accrue that you were unable to pay, they would write one word across the top. And that word is tetelestai, debt paid in full. And you were released. And upon your release, you get to carry with you this document that would serve as your receipt, which means that no one could ever come against you again and demand that you pay the debts that you had accrued because they had been paid in full. It was covered. It was over. This is your receipt, your ticket to freedom, to Telestai. It is finished. Now, in our context, and as Jesus utters this word from the cross before he gives up his spirit, before he breathes his last earthly breath for now. We'll cover, that'll be next week. We're going to talk about, the, the, we're going to talk about all of that next week. But his death on the cross, his last breath before he dies on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. What does that mean? What's finished? What was finished? What was Jesus referring to? In order to understand that, we actually have to go back. And, and look at the Old Testament, understand it through that lens. Because here's the one thing that we have to remember, it's always true. That God is just. God is just. God does not overlook or do away with or, or demand nothing in response to our sin. Sin always has to be dealt with because God is just, because he is right, because he issues and demands justice. And because justice must be upheld. Our sin has to be covered. And so God, demanding that sin be covered, set up a system by which that sin could be dealt with. And we learn from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that the way that this, the way that this happened is that the covering for sin, the payment for sin, always, always, always requires the sacrifice and spilling of blood. It requires a sacrifice and the spilling of blood. Hebrews 9, 22 says this. It says, indeed, under the law, Almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, prior to the coming of Christ, the Old Testament nation of Israel, the Jews, God's people had a way of dealing with God and interacting with God based on this truth. That without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. 
God set up a system for them by which they could maintain proper relationship with him that required the shedding of blood. Now, better to understand that, and I want us to so that we have a clear picture of what's going on with Jesus on the cross. And as he utters this word to Telestai, we have to go back and look into the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Now, for a lot of you that started your Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year, and I'm going to read through the Bible in this year, and you got started in Genesis, and it was awesome because you got creation, and you got Abraham, and you got Jacob and Joseph and all the things going on there. Then you get to Exodus, and you got Moses, and they're leaving. They're, they're getting out of Egypt, and they're all this kind of, it's awesome. It's this wonderful story. And then you get to Leviticus, and you're like, phew, man, I don't know about this Bible reading thing. Just, the book of Leviticus is dense, and it's complicated, and it's this, this whole system and all these rules and laws and things that they had to follow. But if I could just sum up, this is a gross oversimplification. But, but a gross oversimplification of the book of Leviticus is this God setting up a sacrificial system by which the nation of Israel might pay towards their sins so that they could maintain a relationship with God. It's a sacrificial system where the blood sacrifices is spilled instead of the blood of his people. That's the book of Leviticus in a nutshell. Feel free to skip right over it, go on to Numbers. Don't do that. I was just, I was just, just joking. It's, it's an important book. But in Leviticus chapter 16, we're, we're introduced to something called Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. Atonement being the means by which blood would be spilled as a substitute to atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. It was the holiest day of the year for the Israelites. It's the day every year that sin was dealt with. The high priest would take two goats and the first goat, he would present them before the, the door of the tabernacle where the presence of God existed behind the Holy of Holies. If you're from, not familiar with all that, see me after I explain the whole temple system and set up. But on this day of Yom Kippur, on the day of atonement every year, the, the high priest would take two goats. And the first goat, he, he would pull its head back. He would, he would slit the throat and the, the blood would be spilled. And the high priest would then take the blood into the Holy of Holies where the mercy seat of God existed. And they would sprinkle the, the blood of the first goat on the mercy seat of God as a way of, of atoning for or, or making a payment towards the sins of the nation of Israel. Now there was a second goat. The second goat, they, they would bring it out and they would put two hands on this goat and they would confess over it all the sins of the nation of Israel. It was, it was a, an act of transference of the guilt from all of the, the people of the nation of Israel onto this goat and then it would be released into the wilderness. Let me read it for you. Leviticus chapter 16. Starting in verse 21, it says, And Aaron, Aaron was the first high priest, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. Now, don't miss this. I, I, I tried to stress the word all here because it's repeated. Remember when we talked about how to identify repeating words in Scripture? It's repeated. All, all, all their transgressions, all their iniquities, all their sins, all, all, all. All of the sins of the nation of Israel will be confessed on this day. Could you just imagine with me, if you're the high priest, Aaron, you're standing there with your, your, your hands on the head of the goat by this, this, this 
process of transference of guilt. And you're reading out every sin of the whole nation of Israel for a whole year's worth of sinning. Can you imagine the amount of guilt and shame that the people would have felt hearing every sin called by name, spoken aloud as as it's transferred to this goat? Every sin, every shortcoming, every failing, every mistake, everything that every person in the nation of Israel had gotten wrong for the whole year being read aloud. And for me, I just, I just get this picture of this overwhelming sense of weight for the guilt of a nation being called out loud, transferred to this goat. Verse 22, it says, The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free into the wilderness. So after all of the guilt is transferred to this goat, they send it out into the wilderness. It's a picture of your sin being removed from you and sent away. This is actually where we get the term scapegoat. I bet you didn't know that came out of the Bible. It comes out of, the reason you didn't know it came out of the Bible is because it came out of Leviticus and you never finished Leviticus. <laughs> but that's where we get the term scapegoat. This was the role of this goat to be sent away, carrying with it all of the sins. Of the nation of Israel. So we have in these two goats, two pictures. The first goat's blood is spilt as a picture of the payment of sin because sin has to be dealt with. And then the second goat, the, the goat of transference, the scapegoat, carries with it and takes away outside of the camp, outside of the people, and carries with it all of the sin and thereby all of the guilt. The problem is, both of these goats are just a picture. It was a picture of what needed to happen. But Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says this, it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible. So though they were instructed to do it, and the book of Leviticus is very clear as to how they would do it, though they were instructed to do it, it was impossible for it to do what it was designed to do. It was only a picture. It wasn't a real payment of sin or payment for sin, which might lead to the question, well, if it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, then how in the world... Did the people in the Old Testament maintain relationship with God? How, how were they saved? Let me give you an illustration. It's the best I could come up with. Um, let's say that, that you walk into to Best Buy and, um, and you take your credit card, right? You got Visa with you. It's everywhere you want to go. Just for me. All right, so you walk into Best Buy and you got your, you got your handy credit card with you and, and you, you you tell them I want that one. I want the 65-inch OLED. That's, that's the one I want. That's going on my wall. So you, you swipe your card. You take it with you, this TV. And in a very, very real way, that TV belongs to you. you. You made a payment for it. You carried it home. And now it's on your wall. It belongs to you. It's in your house. In a very real way, it's yours. If you make your payments. 
You see, when we pay for something with a credit card, that's not a real payment. That's why we tell you to stay away from credit cards. Because it's not a real payment. It's a picture of a payment. And as long as you continue to make credits toward what you really owe, as long as you make credits toward the real payment, then you get to keep that TV that you feel like is yours. In the Old Testament, every year on this Day of Atonement, the high priest would come and and there would be a payment made towards the sin debt of the nation of Israel. But it was just a picture. You see, their salvation was bought on credit. And God has a really, 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 really high credit limit. And every year they would come in and they would make that minimum payment because you know how far that gets you along with your credit card. They would make that minimum payment of two goats, one whose blood was spilled and one who was sent away into the wilderness. It was a picture of a real payment, but it wasn't the real payment. And God racked up this incredible sin debt bill that he promised one day through a Messiah that he would cover and pay for in totality. So every time the people would make this sacrifice on the Day of Atonement every year, They'd pay the minimum balance, and eventually you would figure that 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 debt would decrease, but only if there's no sin to replenish it. Like if you pay off your credit card, but then you make more charges. And every year they would make more charges, and they'd pay off a little bit, and they'd make more charges. And so the sin, their debt, was never fully covered, never paid for. But Paul tells us about God's promise. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26, it says, For all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because he's just. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God kept his promise to make the real payment. He put Jesus forward as the, as the payment. The word propitiation here, all that means is it's satisfying the demand of payment. That's what propitiation means. The propitiation was Jesus' blood, the only blood that could actually be a real payment for sin. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance and his ability to look through time down the, the, the space-time continuum to the day of Christ, the day that Jesus will be offered as a sacrifice for all sin. Because God knew what was coming, he was able to pass over former sins. And for a long period of time, because God is slow to anger and because his credit limit is really high, sins were not really dealt with. That's why Romans 3 is adamant that when Jesus is finally offered as the true payment for sin, this was to show God's righteousness, to prove him both just and the justifier of sin. He is the one that demands sin be dealt with, and then he is the one that deals with it by making the real payment towards it through Jesus' his son. Jesus satisfied the demand for payment of sin. God put him there to make good on the promise of payment. Because Jesus 
was the true Lamb of God, the one who could actually pay. In John chapter 1, there's this really cool thing going on where John the Baptist is, is, is baptizing people in the river, and, and he looks up from the work that he's doing and proclaiming about the Messiah that is to come. He looks up and he sees Jesus. And he says this, John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he, being John, saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John saw God making the payment, doing the thing that the the blood of bulls and goats could not do. The first goat in Leviticus was sacrificed to be a picture of the payment that's being made for sin. Jesus was killed, crucified, his blood shed, not as a picture, but as the actual payment for sin. The second go was taken away, removed outside of the camp. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, it tells us that Jesus was also taken outside of the camp, outside of the city to be crucified. Not to just be a picture of the removal of sin, but to be the actual remover of our sin and our shame. Having accomplished it all, making the payment for sin and removing our sin, our shame, our guilt, Jesus then looks up and he says, to tell us die. The debt has been paid in full. It is finished. Yeah, we can clap for that. See this word, to tell us die? Let me, tell you why, let me tell you why I love it so much, and you can write this down. Tetelestai is a shame eraser. Tetelestai is a shame eraser. See, with you and me, with all the sins that we've ever committed in our lifetime, we've racked up a debt that we can't pay. Just like the debtors that were thrown into debtor's prison, we've racked up a debt that we can't pay. We're imprisoned. We're slaves To our sin because of the list of debt that is against us. Every angry outburst written down. Every orphan overlooked. Every lust-filled look. Every business deal that was dishonest. Every harsh word we spoke in anger. Everything you and I have ever done that dishonors or doesn't bring glory to God written down and your enemy every morning when you get up he's there to derail all the work that God would do in you the Bible calls him your accuser do you know the things that he accuses you of all the things on that list he reminds you he uses the circumstances and the situations and other people To remind you of all of the sin that you've committed. He reminds you of all the times that you fell short. All the times that you got it wrong. All the times that you were not very much like Christ. All the times that you cheated. Every time that you lied. Every time that you stole. Every time that you ever did anything wrong. Your accuser, Satan, our enemy, the devil, wants to do nothing more than to remind you of all the things that you've done that makes you unworthy of being in a relationship with a holy, perfect, and righteous God. He wants you to feel ashamed. And he wants you to feel guilty. And he wants you to feel like you are all of those things that you've done wrong. And those are the reasons that you don't deserve to be loved. And you don't deserve to have a relationship with God. 
and you don't deserve what Jesus did for you. He's reading you your list. Here's what you owe. Sinner, cheater, liar, adulterer. This is what you owe. This is who you are. Here's your list. Can can I tell you what's cool about my list? Do you know where my list is? I know where it is. Do you, do you know where your list is? Let me show you. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 13. Oh, I'm sorry. Colossians chapter 2. Verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands because God is just. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands was nailed to the cross. Jesus, with his blood, declared over it to telestai. Debt paid in full. You don't owe it anymore. You want to know where my list is? You want to know where your list is? It's nailed to the cross of Christ. That's why we think of the cross as so beautiful as Christians. Because that's where my list lives. And this changes everything. That changes everything. Finally, we can deal with our guilt. You want to know why I don't have to, you know why I, don't, why I shouldn't? Sometimes it's, it still lingers, but you know why we shouldn't feel guilty? Because you don't owe a debt anymore. You don't, you don't owe that anymore. It's been paid for. Why are you still feeling guilty? You're out of prison. Receipt. You're free. No more sin debt. Why? Because Jesus declared to tell us that it's finished. You don't owe it anymore. Stop trying to pay it back. It's already been paid for. So when Satan starts reading me my list, man, he loves to because I got some stuff. And every now and then, right, I start to listen a little bit. He gets a little bit louder, loud enough for me to hear him, even if it's in my own, my own sinful person inside of me, reading these things to me. My accuser using that against me to read me my list. Here's what I'd encourage you to do, right? When you start to feel guilty, when you start to feel overwhelmed by shame or regret, when you start to feel like you're drowning under the weight of your guilt, your sin, and your shame. Two things. I want you to recognize that that comes from your accuser. I saw something on social media a couple weeks ago that says, Satan knows our name and calls us by our sin. Jesus knows our sin and calls us by our name. 
thought that was pretty powerful because that's what, the, that's what our accuser likes to do. He wants to make you think that you are your sin. So here's what you got to do, two things. I want, you to, I want you to remind your accuser where your list is. Hey, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Where did you find out all that stuff about me? You've been reading my list? Where did you find it? Oh, that's right. Uh, you, you saw the cross too. You knew where to find my list. You knew where to find it. But you forgot to read one important word that's on my list. Because, yeah, you're right. I did all that stuff. You're right. I owed all those debts. But you left off the most important word that's on my list. You know what that word is? Tetelestai. My list says to Telestai. It's finished, it's covered, it's over. I don't owe it anymore. So when he starts to remind you about your list, you remind him of to Telestai. I don't have to carry that sin anymore. I don't have to carry that guilt anymore. And here's what that means for us. If you're in the room this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and I don't know how you ended up here, I don't know who invited you, I don't know why you're here, but I know that you're here, that, that some of you are here, and we're grateful that you're here. But you got to know, if you haven't put your faith, that's what Paul said, that all of this comes by faith. We receive the grace of God offered to us by faith, by faith alone. That's how we get this. If you've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, your debt hadn't been paid. You still owe that. God is just. Your sin must be dealt with. It has to. It has to. If it wasn't, God wouldn't, God wouldn't be just if he didn't deal with your sin. It has to be dealt with. The offer of Scripture is that Christ wants to be your propitiation, to be the satisfaction of your sin debt for you on your behalf, to remove you from that debtor's prison, to get you out, to set you free, to give you a receipt with the word across the top that says, paid in full. You don't owe that anymore. And if you are drowning under the weight of shame and guilt this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I, I, I don't know why you wouldn't. If you're tired of feeling guilty, you're tired of feeling ashamed, you need Christ. Because in him, it's paid for. Payment's been made. And he offers that to you, to be received in faith. For the Christians in the room this morning, whew, boy, do we have some stuff to celebrate. Have you ever paid off a debt? Have you, anybody, don't raise your hand because you're not supposed to have debt. But, but I've had debt. I had some, right? I still got a little bit. We're working on it, right? So there, is, there are seldom expressions and emotional feelings of gratefulness and awesomeness, like paying off a debt. I remember the day that I mailed off my last truck payment. I was like, I don't even dance. I was dancing. Like, it was awesome. It's the greatest thing in the world to feel like you don't have the weight of debt anymore. I sold a boat, got out from underneath the debt of boat, paid off credit cards. There's, there are seldom few better feelings than to be rid of debt, to be free, and to live like you're free, to spend like you're free. This morning I'm came I came to tell somebody I don't know who it was but I came to tell somebody this morning that you're free your debt of sin has been paid you don't have to feel guilty you don't have to be ashamed you get to live debt free like a free person and if that doesn't light your fire your woods wet like I don't even know what to do with it but I, that is the best news 
that you could receive this morning. Jesus has paid your debt. You're free. Go live like free people. Stop carrying the weight of your sin. Stop carrying around that guilt. Stop feeling ashamed. Jesus paid for it. You don't owe it anymore. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, Father, this morning, Lord, I don't know if anybody else in this room is is as excited about this as I am, but God, it's enough for me to know that I am a free man in Christ. God, now my life is yours. I know I don't have to repay anything. God, I'm not trying to earn the gift that's been given. I'm not trying to pay it back because I know I don't owe it. There's nothing to pay back. It's gone. But God, I will live every day of my life. And as much as I'm able and as as aware as I can be, God, I will live my life in response to that which has been given. I will, with every fiber of my being, seek to love people the way that you love people. God, I will seek to live my life in a way that honors you, not because I'm trying to earn anything, but because I've already been given the greatest thing that could ever be given. God, I have been set free from my slavery to sin so that I might become a slave to your son because, God, I cannot know what I know is true and live like it didn't happen. So, Father, while it's true for me, God, I pray it would be true for every person in this room that, God, we would live like free people, We would live like those who have been set free from the debt of our sin. We live life on purpose and with purpose because it has a purpose. And God, for the one here this morning that doesn't know you, God, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. That they would respond to the news that you have offered for them, the payment for their sin in the form of the sacrifice of your son. The perfect payment so that they could have a relationship with you. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and the hope that we have in response to him. It's in his name I pray. Amen.